about up here. <clears throat> you know, there's only about 12 young men in the whole center. Is it 12 or 16? 12? 14? And usually only two to four show up. And I love that. You know, we have this crazy idea in America that people come to Christ 10,000 people at a time in a stadium somewhere. But that's just not how it works. People come to the Lord one at a time. And so often these uh, little groups of, I don't know, 12, 14, 16, 20 uh, troubled individuals will get isolated somewhere because churches with their American success mentality say, well, it's not worth our resources to go over there. No. People get saved one person at a time. And that's one of the things I just love about this ministry. We're investing in just a few guys. And that's how, that's how communities get turned around. So please be, be praying about that ministry. Really excited about it. Okay, so we are in Hebrews, going chapter by chapter through Hebrews. You can rise for the reading of God's Word. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. If you need a Bible. Bible, we've got one over here. One over here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord God, that we can just lay aside the distractions of life and come in here and meet you here, Lord. And Father, we need you. We are weak, Lord. We're fragile men and women. We just confess that. We need your strength. We need to be strengthened by your word, through your spirit. Father, we, I just pray for any man or woman in here who's just here this morning, just in a place of uncertainty you would take that uncertainty and you would uh, replace it, Lord, with a rock of faith, a rock that can be stand, uh, stood upon and leaned against and relied upon. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. Last week we spent a lot of time on a verse in uh, chapter 9, a couple verses in chapter 10, the verse, uh, the ch verse in chapter 9, verse 26, middle of the verse, 
says this, he, Jesus, has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Jesus Christ, he put away sin. He put it away. He took it away. He has taken away sin. He's taken away our sin. What does that mean? At least three things. He's, been, he, he's put away, he's taken away the penalty of sin. Romans 6.23. Uh, says the penalty of sin is death the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ he's also taken away the reminder of sin what we call guilt we read in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 that Jesus has cleansed our consciences to serve the living God he's taken away the power of sin uh, over our lives. In Romans 7, verse 25, the apostle uh, Paul cries out, who will rescue me from this body of death? Uh, referring to the, the sin that has been, had been constantly having had victory over him. And he answers his own question in the same verse, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus Christ has taken away sin. Verse uh, 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 chapter 9, verse 26. He's taken away the penalty of sin, the reminder of sin, and the power of sin over us. Now, chapter 10, verse 14, spent a lot of time in this last week, says uh, the same thing in, in, in a different way. For by one offering, He, Jesus, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified, which be, means made holy. For by one offering on the cross, Jesus has perfected you. If you have put your trust in Christ, how has he perfected you? Because the sin has been taken away, as it says in chapter 9, verse 26. And so we looked at this verse, verse 14 of chapter 10 last week, and we asked ourselves, how is it that we can be perfected forever, but at the same time be sanctified? In other words, if we're already perfect, as the verse 14 says, why do we need to be made holy? Or why are we being made holy? That's the present tense, the gerund tense, ongoing. We're being made holy. doesn't make sense. It says, I've been made perfect, but I'm being made holy. What does that mean? Well, it means that though you are perfect in the eyes of God, you are not in the eyes of men. If you have given your life to Christ, God has given you the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, and therefore before God, in the eyes of God, you are blameless in your perfect. That's what it says. It says that in that verse, verse 14, says it in Ephesians chapter 1 as well, virtually the same verse. You are um, blameless and perfect in the eyes of God. But guess what? You're still living in the same body. The Bible calls it a body of death. You don't have, you're not in a glorified body yet. That happens when you pass from this life to the next one, either on, upon your death or the rapture. So in the eyes of God, you've been perfected forever. But when it comes to living a holy life, uh, a Christ-like life, a life obedient 
to the Word of God, you're still being made holy. In other words, you're under construction. Who put that under construction? Actually, there's an under construction sign um, over you. And who, who, who put that sign there? God did. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, it says that uh, God is building us up as living stones into a house, a holy house. So God put an a under construction sign over each of our heads. For by one offering, verse 14, he has perfected forever those who are being made holy. Verse 17 adds, and their sins, speaking of you, if you've put your trust in Christ, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And then we come to verse 19, uh, which we began with this morning. Therefore, brothers, brethren, sisters, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. What does that mean, holiest? That means it's a reference to the presence of God. You can have boldness to enter the presence of God if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. Now, Christians... I'm talking about Christians now, will do the craziest things to find the presence of God. Now, so does the world, too. So do people who are not Christians. I mean, they do wacky, wacky, crazy things to do uh, uh, to find the presence of God. But what's particularly tragic is that Christians do the same thing. Why? Because though they have been saved by grace, meaning having done nothing on their own for their salvation, they accepted the free gift of salvation, having been saved by grace, tragically and unnecessarily, they continue to be burdened by the penalty of sin, by the reminder of sin, by the feeling of it, by the power of it over their lives and they want to do something to put it away to shake off the burden uh, they want to do something in order to find and experience the presence of God and so they wind up doing the craziest thing I know a guy who um, insists that he needs to go and I, I think there's a very good possibility that he'll be going to Mount Sinai and hang out on Mount Sinai for 40 days or whatever, like Moses did. Now, I don't know if, you know, you've ever seen pictures of Mount Sinai. It's in the middle of the Sinai Peninsula, and it is in the most desolate, harsh, barren wilderness area in the world. <laughs> Go Google it and take a look at Mount Sinai. It's like, why would anyone ever want to go there? What a tragedy that anyone thinks they need to go to Mount Sinai to sort of experience the presence of God. I see this type of thing. Usually it's not, though, so extreme as going to uh, Mount Sinai. It's some smaller thing, but it's all the same. It's the bondage all the same. It's the same kind of bondage. It's just people thinking there's just one more thing that they need to do to be able to find the presence of God. 
but they do that thing. They wind up doing it, and they always find themselves in the same place thinking it's never enough. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses 6 through 8. It puts it best. It says, do not say in your heart who will go up into heaven to bring Jesus down from above or who will go down into the abyss, into the deep to bring Jesus up. The word of God is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Jesus is in your heart. And if that is the case, verse 19 of chapter 10 says, therefore, brethren, you can have boldness to enter into the holiness. The holiest, speaking of the presence of God. It's just a reference to the Old Testament, holy of holies. It's what the Hebrews is all about with these references to the um, Old Testament T- uh, Testament system of worship in the temple where there was the holy, uh, holiest of holies where holy of holies where the, only the high priest went into. Well, if you have been born again, you can go there. John chapter 3 verse 3 says, Jesus himself says, if you, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. We are born once from our mother's womb. But we come out of the womb, the Bible says, dead spiritually, with no relationship with God, alienated from God, estranged from God, separated from God. Why? Because of the, uh, the sin we inherited from our parents and our parents' parents and our parents' parents' parents and on back down to Adam. Sin, it's in everyone's gene pool. You don't have to teach a two or three-year-old to lie, cheat, or steal or to smash their little sister over the head with a, a, a little pole. You don't have to do that. It's in their nature from the time they leave their mother's womb. Uh, David says in Psalm 51 verse 5, in sin my mother conceived me. So as Jesus said, we have to, you have to be born again, once from your mother's womb, and then again by the Spirit of God. And you, the Bible says you do that through a very simple process. You turn to God and believe what Jesus has done for you. That he was crucified for your sins, he was buried Then he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven where he offers to pour out his life to anyone who calls upon his name. If you believe that, if you trust in him, you will become born again, alive to God. The Bible says in verse 19 says that you can have boldness. That means confidently you can go into the presence of God. And there's not, after that point, after you've been born again, there's not just one more thing that you need to do to enter into the presence of God. God has promised that once you're born again by simply putting your faith in Him, there's nothing else you can do. Just go in. Go in. And then skip down to verse 22, it says, then it says, let us draw near. The beginning of that verse really is the first word of verse 19. Therefore, skip down to verse 22, 
let us draw near. Draw near to who? God. In other words, draw, draw, draw near to God. Go into the presence of God. Go into the presence of God. Now, if for those of you who have been with us in the book of Hebrews, uh, this letter here, I hope you are picking up the theme in this book. Now, remember, this is a discouraged people. They had been in persecution for a number of years. They're, they're discouraged. And I hope you're picking up the theme here. Uh, chapter 4, verse 16 said what? Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might, may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Chapter 6, verse 19 said, This hope we have is an anchor to our soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence of God. Chapter 7, verse 19 says, A better hope has been introduced to us by which we draw near to God. And then the very last chapter puts it the best to me. Uh, to me. It just says, Let us go to Jesus. <laughs> really simple. And so the writer is just simply telling these people, they're in a season of discouragement. He's telling them, he's telling them, he's telling them, he's telling them, draw near to God. You need to go to God. Now, do you know what I see all the time? Let me tell you something I see all the time in church. I see people coming to church, to this church, and they are sometimes here every Sunday. And I see people in uh, Bible studies, and I see people on, in prayer meetings, and I even see people on the ministry team serving in a variety of c- capacities. They're in church often, but they're not going to God. They're not drawing near to God in their life. And you would think it would be the last thing that I would have to say from this pulpit. Draw near to God. But it's the very thing I must and have to say. Many times. Draw near to God. Let me say that to just each one of you this morning. This word is for your heart. You need to draw near to God. I mean, if the writer of the Hebrews can say it over and over and over again, so can I. Remember, he's speaking to Christians. So oftentimes, again, uh, 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 Christians, they show up at church, they do the religious thing, but they're not drawing near to God in their life. Now, some of you may be asking, what do you mean by that? What does it mean to draw near to God? Well, it means to go boldly into the presence of God. Well, that doesn't help a lot, Steve. What do you mean by that? That's a good question. That's what I want to spend the remainder of this time on. What does it mean to just go into the presence of God? Let me read to you from Psalm 31 to Psalm of David. I'm a psalm junkie because all the psalms are really about one thing, going into the presence of God. So there's all kinds of stuff in the psalms about going to the presence of God. But Psalm 31, verse 20 says this. It says, David speaking to God, he says, 
you shall hide them in the secret place of your presence. You shall hide them, meaning your children. He's David speaking to God. Lord, you're going to hide. You hide your children in the secret place of your presence. You hide me, Lord, in the secret place of your presence. So drawing near to God means by faith putting away all the distractions that are swallowing up your life and just opening up your heart to God. That secret place where all that other stuff isn't there. Psalm 31 verse 20. And what happens when you draw near to God? David speaks of that over and over and over again. Psalm 16, verse 11, he says to the Lord, it's in that place that you will show me the path of life. In your presence, Lord, you show me the path of life. In your presence, Lord, Psalm 16, verse 11, is fullness of joy. In your presence, Lord, uh, Psalm 16, verse 11, at, at, are pleasures forevermore. If you're not drawing near to God, you are missing everything. <laughs> you're missing what life is about. You're missing uh, the very, at the very core of why God saved you. And, and so you ask, well, how do I get there? Or where do I go to get there? Now, as I said last week, the beauty of our position in Christ as born-again Christians is that you know, we can go boldly uh, to the throne of grace wherever we are. We don't have to be in a church building. We don't have to be around a priest or a pastor or a holy man or woman or whatever. Uh, we can be in the midst of a nasty, snarling Boston traffic jam in 90-degree weather where people are blasting their horns, shaking their fists, cursing, whatever. Right there, you can go boldly into the presence of God. I suggest that you do, so you don't uh, get caught up in what they're doing. You can be right in the middle of Fenway Park, in the middle of 35,000 fans screaming at the top of their lungs. You can. It's a privilege that God has given you to go right into the presence of God, right there. This week I'm going down to the Cape uh, with my wife and kids. I grew up there. I spent every summer there my whole life. I think one summer uh, I didn't, one or two summers. And every summer I go to the Cape, I go spear fishing. Anyone ever been spear fishing here, by the way? Okay, all right. Okay, very good. So... Um, Every place I go, every year I go to the same place to go spearfishing, and uh, I got to tell you, the place that I go spearfishing, I go there because that's what I saw my dad do when I was like three years old. He was doing it, so I guess I have to do it now, you know. I'm 14. When I was 14 years old, I guess I got to do it now. My dad did it, and my older brother's doing it. But I tell you, what we do is not for the faint in heart. Uh, first of all, the water, where we go, it's, it's, uh, it's right on the Cape Cod Canal there, and the water is freezing. I don't know 
what's going on with the water in the Cape Cod Canal. It's coming down from Nova Scotia or whatever, and it is freezing. I mean, you spend more than a half hour in there because uh, you're greedy, you want more fish, whatever. You will come out blue, I, I, you know, and it'll take you an hour to stop shivering. And, you know, so the water's freezing, and, and, you know, I get into the water, I get my mask on, I snorkel fins, and I get the spear gun. I basically look like the creature from the Black Lagoon, right? Except I'm not coming out, I'm going in. And I, I'm looking like this, and, and once I get into the water, here's the deal. I have to swim through a solid wall that's 30 yards long of just a, a wall of seaweed. And I got to swim through this seaweed, not above it, through it, because there is no above. The reason is it's low tide. You have to go spearfishing in low tide or else you can't see the flounder, those big flounder, which are on the bottom of the Cape Cod, uh, uh, you know, in the bottom of the the canal. And so uh, I got to go right through... Uh, this this wall of seaweed, and I mean, this stuff is, is just um, it's in just in my face. It's in my arms. It's stuck in the spear gun, and I, you know, even though I've been doing this for thirty years, I'm always thinking of the thinking of the same thing. I'm thinking, what kind of sea monster is about to? devour me, you know, because I can't see anything. And, and you know, uh, you're, you're underwater, so there's like these creepy noises, and you're just waiting, you know. Uh, maybe Jaws is going to come over from Martha's Vineyard, whatever. And, 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 so, uh, and so, you know, you're thinking, what on earth does this have to do to, with drawing near to God? Well, right there in the middle of a mass of seaweed, I, I can cry out to the Lord, Lord, Save me from the sea monster. Give me strength. Give me warmth. Give me courage. Give me life. Right there in the mass of seaweed. And so if you're thinking about me this week, that's what I'll be doing. By the way, my son's now 16, Sam. And so if he thinks he's going to get away with not carrying on this tradition, <laughs> I, uh, it ain't going to happen, him uh, staying on shore this year. But anyway. It doesn't matter where you are. You're in a Boston traffic jam in the middle of Fenway, in the middle of a wall of seaweed. You can go boldly into the presence of God. However. And I underscore that word, however. I mean, I just underline it. (laughs) However. There is no substitute. For going to a quiet place away from the cursing, the shaking of the fists, away from people, the noises, whatever, and having a devotion time in an unhurried, private way with the Lord. And doing that Every day. It's part of the privilege. It is the engine of the Christian life. Now, I talk about having a devotion time up here, and sometimes I feel like I'm a broken record, and I'm saying it over and over again, and 
the reason I do is, is because it really, really is. Your drawing near to God in a devotion time is what powers and determines everything else in your life. It determines what your relationships are like, how you do at your job, how you do uh, as a husband, how you do as a wife. It determines um, how you interact uh, with people throughout the day. It determines the fruitfulness of, the min- of your ministry. It's all driven by the Word of God and drawing near to God. I wish I could tell you there was another way. I can't. Why is it like that? Well, I will get to that in a second. I want to, you know, I, I, I talk to people and they'll come up to me and they'll say, but how do I do, how do I have this devotion time that you're talking about? You know, I open up the, up the Bible and I, I just really, nothing's really happening or I'll do it for a week or two and then I slack off. What do I do? So I've just really felt for the last three or four weeks that I just wanted to share with you the, what I feel are the four principles of a devotion life where, you know, you can go in and have one and you ask, well, can you really be touched like every day? I mean, don't you go through a week or two which, which are, are dry? And the answer is you can be touched every single day. Now, this isn't going to happen overnight. <laughs> I've been walking now with the Lord for 21 years. And it took a number of years before I could really get to the time where I was just being touched by the Lord in my devotion time every morning. But it is so important. Now, here are the four things that are so critical that you understand in order for this to happen in your life, in order for you to, uh, to, to get a hold of and, and have that, whatever, that V8 engine that, that powers your life. The first is this. It's just, and this one I'm not going to spend a lot of time with because I spent most of last week's lesson on. If you weren't here, uh, you can get the CD uh, or go to the web. But it's just the chapter 10, 14 thing. Uh, For by one offering, Jesus has perfected you forever. You who are being still being made holy. So if you understand that he's put away the penalty of sin, he's put away the guilt, he, he, he has no interest in whatsoever in you carrying around any guilt in your life, if you understand that, that that's what the purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection was, if you understand that um, there is no sin on the face of the earth that you have done that God wants to get between you and drawing near to Him, that it's all been put away, it's been buried. Again, verse uh, uh, 18 says... Uh, verse 17 rather says, your sins and lawless deeds he remembers no more. That means he never puts it in your face again. That's what we do when we're in arguments with people. In an argument with people, we bring up something that they did 10 years ago. The Lord will never do that with you. Satan will. God will never do that. 
So the first principle of, of having a, a, a rich devotion time is just to understand the very basic principle that if you put your uh, trust in Christ, he's perfected you forever. You who are being made holy, meaning if you went out that morning and shouted at someone because you got mad at them, you can say, Ugh, I'm not going to... I'm not going to avoid going, drawing near to the Lord today because I just did that. I'm under construction. I'm being made holy. I'm going to go right in because that's what he's told me to do. So principle number one of having a rich devotion life, you've got to understand that as in, when you trusted in Christ, he perfected you forever. When you became born again, the Bible says in Titus 3, he came in by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit and he made you blameless and perfect before his eyes. So that's number one. Number two, in order to have a rich devotion life, you need to understand that you need it. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I wake up in the morning and I say to myself, I'm on my bed, you know, whatever, on my bed, just woke up, and, and, I, and, and I, I say to myself, and I believe this is directly the Lord speaking to me, I say to myself, if I don't get up and go up to my office and have my time with God, I am going to be a basket case today. I pray that the Lord does that very thing in everyone's heart in this room. That you need, that you, that you understand that you need it. You need that time where you open up the Bible and you read it. Uh, and it will never uh, uh, thrive unless you get to that place where you realize you need it. Now, on Sunday nights uh, a few weeks ago, we were in Psalm 18, um, uh, chapter, Psalm 18, verse uh, 16, where David says, God delivered me from my enemy. God delivered me from my enemies because they were too strong for me. And the thing that I uh, talked about as um, we were going over that psalm, that verse, was was this: God always wants you to be in a place which is at least slightly, if not much more, than you're able to deal with. <laughs> in fact, I will go for further. One of the ways you can know that you are in the will of God as opposed to outside of the will of God, is if you're in circumstances which are more than what you can handle, more than what you can deal with, more than what you can bear in your own strength. That's one of the ways we can, you can know that you're in the will of God. Why? Because the Lord always has his people in a place where they understand they need him and they want to go to him. The Lord knows what happens when we get into our comfort zone, when we get outside of a place where we need him, what do we do? We forget about him. We don't go to our devotion time. We don't open up our Bible. So the second principle, so important about having a rich devotion time is that you understand your need for it. I hope every single man or woman in this, in this room, that you wake up this week and you think, if I don't go and spend my time with the Lord, 
I am going to be a basket case today. I hope that for you. And so because, believe me, it, it just makes me, it drives me to get up, get in the shower, shave, and get up there um, uh, to, uh, uh, to my devotion time. And so uh, you need to understand there's, you have that, that need. And then uh, the third thing, and this is just so important, and this is a this next one is just, it's, it's, it's something that you need to just accept by faith, and that is this, that God wants the time with you more than you want to have the time with Him. Now, I know that's, that's probably the most difficult one of these four things that I'm going to say, but you either need to believe the Word of God or reject it. The Word of God says that God delights in you, that He delights in you. In that same psalm, Psalm 18, verse 19, David says, He delivered me because he delighted in me. You need to understand that if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, he delights in you. I understand the whole thing about, but what about all the stuff I've done? What about the unfaithfulness? What about the, you know, mess that's just going on in my mind, forget about that. By one offering, you have been perfected forever and are now being made holy, and God delights in you. And He wants that time with you more than you want it with Him. That's number three. The fourth one is this. This is so important. You need to go into your time with God, your time reading the Bible, expecting to hear from Him. You need to go into your devotion time expecting. I've gotten to the place in, where, in my life where I just know that God is going to speak with me. Now, I don't say that out of pride or anything. I, o I only say that because that's what the Bible says happens when I draw near to God. The Bible says in the book of James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God will speak to you. Very important that you understand the purpose of a devotion time with God, a time alone with God, is not to learn something new. I mean, I have been reading the Bible a lot for many, many, many years. If I thought that what needed to happen when I spent time with God and opened up and read the Bible was I had to learn something new, I'd be, I'd be only be having a time with Him once every 30 days or something because it's not that I, you don't stop learning new things. It's, that's just not the purpose of... of of going into the Word of God. The purpose of going into the Word of God is for the Lord to speak to you through His Word, and He may be giving you a word that you've heard a thousand times before, but you need to know about because you've forgotten it a thousand times. And until you get it right, He's going to keep reminding you of it. Don't go into your time reading the Bible thinking, oh, I've got to learn something new. That's crazy. 
you know, there's, yes, there's a time for Bible study. In fact, right now, that's what we're doing. Uh, and, and even for you alone to study the Bible. But that's different from your devotion time. If you insist on learning something new every time you open the Bible, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Pretty soon, it's going to get more and more and more boring and dull. And pretty soon, you'll be worshiping Saint Mattress. You know, you'll be lying prostrate right on top, face down on, on your mattress, snoring real loud, whatever. Uh, you know, because, because that's not the purpose of your time alone with God. So what I wanted to do right now is just give you um, a, a short example of of what I do. And it's not that this is what you, anyone has to do. It's just uh, an example of uh, what I do for my own devotion time. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because this is one way that I think may work very well with you. Uh, the first thing that I do is I use devotionals. Now, dev- we have a bunch of devotionals in the bookstore. Um, and they, what a devotional is, it's just a short little one-day devotional page where there's a Bible verse on top and there's a man or woman, who, an author, who just writes some thoughts about that particular Bible verse. The reason I use devotionals is because I'm, I'm tired and I need someone to do my thinking for me for the first 10 or 15 minutes, you know? I need someone to help me focus. Uh, right now, I'm, uh, I'm, for the fourth time, I am... Uh, on, I, I, I'm reading through this devotional. It's called A Golden Treasury for the, for the Children of God. I printed it off the web. And um, this guy, this thing is written uh, 300 years ago. But it's, it's like it was written yesterday because it speaks to my art uh, every single morning. It's out of print. If you want a copy of it, uh, email the church and ask for it. We'll send you the link. But um, I just want to give you an example. So I, I open up the... Uh, I, I open up to wherever I am, and I'm just going to give you one example here. Here, uh, we're on, uh, this was uh, one that I, uh, I read, I believe, this week. It just says this, Psalm 109.22 is, is the verse for the day. It says, it says this, I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. And what you will find if you go into your time with God, not seeking to learn anything, but seeking to hear from God, is you will be shocked that the verse is speaking many times, doesn't happen every morning, but many times it's speaking to a direct situation in your life. When this one came up uh, with me, I, I, I was hurt. Because I had been betrayed by someone, and I was hurting. There was a wound. I sat down in my seat with a wound in my heart, and I just opened this up, and it says, I'm poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. And I said, Lord, thank you. You're right. I am wounded. And Lord, I am poor and I am needy. See, I'm just expecting God to to speak with me. 
And he always does because he wants it more than I do. And his word says that he does when I go to him. And, 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 and so I am poor and needy, meaning I can't deal with this wound on my own. I can't think it away. I can't dream it away. I'm not going to go out and do drugs or some crazy thing to try to forget about it. Lord, you need to take this wound away. You need to deal with it. You need to restore me. Happens all the time. I'll go into the devotion time and I'll open up the Bible. It's speaking to a very specific time in my life. Uh, I remember years ago uh, reading Oswald Chambers and it was bizarre that like 60 days in a row, his little devotional, My Upmost for His Highest, it seemed like every day was directly addressing some circumstance in my life. I'm thinking to myself, is this really supposed to be happening? Is this like reading my horoscope or something? <laughs> uh, but, but anyway, the Lord will, will be faithful to do that. Now, that's not every morning. However, every morning, He will speak to you as long as you go in expecting to hear from Him. So after I finish my devotion time uh, in the devotional, and that, what I do is I go to the place where the Bible verse is. I read a few verses before it. I read a few verses after, after it. I, I read what uh, the writer has to say. And then I go in somewhere into the New Testament, and right now I'm in the uh, book of Matthew, and uh, this is where I was uh, uh, this morning. It says in verse 32, of Matthew 15. Let me share this with you. It says, Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have had nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude. And I just immediately received that from God. I mean, it wasn't some big old Pentecostal thing. I just received it. And uh, that, that, wow, you're speaking to me, Lord, and you're right. I have been looking of ways in my own strength, human solutions of trying to pastor this church, pastor the church, and be a father to my family, and a husband to my wife, and an employee, whatever, and I've been looking for human solutions where you want to do the work. And, I, you know, I'm going and going to you just like these disciples, and I'm saying, well, where are we going to get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great, uh, such a great uh, multitude? You know, how are we going to put this uh, thing together in two weeks, uh, this uh, special presentation on evolution and creation with, with everything that is, uh, it was a ton of planning going into this thing. How are we going to be, how can we go into DYS? How can we run an orphanage in Haiti and, and administer all the finances there? How can we go into Calvary Kids uh, every week and teach the Bible? You know, how can we go out street witnessing and, and, and you know, have the home fellowships and teach two sermons a week? And, and uh, uh, I have a wedding coming up that I'm going to be performing the w wedding ceremony. You know, how am I going to be doing this? The Lord spoke to me. Is everyone following me? If you go into your time with God, just 
with no doubt in your mind, whatever I'm going to read, it applies to me. There's nothing wrong with doing that. In fact, you should be doing that. If you go in with that attitude, you'll hear from the Lord and you will be touched by him. Now, sometimes a time with God is like a thriller. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's goo-goo-gaga feelings happening all over. You know, that doesn't happen uh, that often. But in terms of being touched by God, experiencing God, recognizing the peace of God, knowing that you're in the presence of God, it can happen, and it can happen every day. Now, again, <laughs> I don't want anyone in this room to run out and think if it's not happening every day this week or whatever, something's wrong. No, it, again, it took me a number of years to get to the place where I just simply understood that I was going to open up the Word of God and, and hear from Him. It took a number of years till I made sure that I was right in the middle of God where I, I was in a place of great need. And the wonderful thing about being in a place of great need is you have to cry out to God in your life. And it took me a number of years in my life to understand that, look, I may have whatever, yelled at someone yesterday or done something really stupid, but I can't carry that uh, with me into this Bible study, and I certainly I can't prevent it from going in and drawing near uh, to the Lord. But be encouraged. You can get to that place. God wants you to get to that place. Let me close with this. Uh, to me, one of the most revealing stories in the Bible was after Jesus had raised from the dead. Very last chapter of, of Luke. And he has not ascended into heaven yet, so he's still appearing to, to various people. And now he had told people before he had been very public about the fact that uh, he was going to be crucified. He was going to be delivered into the hands of sinners. They were going to crucify him, but he was going to raise again on the third day. But no one understood what that meant, raise again on the third day, whatever. Went in one ear, out the other. So in Luke 24, you have this scene, wonderful scene, verses 13 through 27, where there's these two disciples. They're on their way to Emmaus. They're all bummed out. They had basically... The, the picture of them is they had been disciples of Jesus. He'd been crucified and he was gone. So let's go back to doing what we were doing <laughs> before we knew about Jesus. And they're walking uh, back to Emmaus. They're all bummed out. They're forlorn. They're depressed. They're discouraged. And it says in verse 15, it says, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. It says in verse 16, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And it says, in verse 17, it says, and Jesus said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another and as you walk and are sad? And one whose name was Cleopas uh, said to him, are you only a stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened here in these days? And Jesus said, what things? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty in a word and deed before God and all the people. 
and how the chief priests and our own rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today, the third day, since these things happened, certain women arrived and told him uh, that um, uh, they could not find him in his tomb. And it says that at that time, Jesus said to them, verse 25, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to have entered into glory? Now listen, and beginning at Moses, meaning the first five books of the Bible, and then all the books of the prophet, Jesus taught them all the scriptures concerning himself. And then it says, as they drew near to the village, they thought that Jesus was going to go on past Emmaus and they didn't let him. They said, come on, stay with us. And Jesus stayed with him. It says he took bread, he blessed it, he gave it to him, uh, rather to them. And then it says their eyes were opened at that time and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. Now listen, verse 32. And they said to one another, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? Did our hearts not burn within us? <laughs> and so that's what happens when you spend time with God and you recognize the need and you go in and open up the Bible believing He is going to speak to you and that He wants to speak to you more than you want to hear from Him. Let it never be said of us, from this day on at least, what was said to these people by Jesus himself, oh, you foolish ones, didn't you read the scripture? Didn't you pay attention when you were in it? Oh, you foolish ones. They were just, they had, they'd ripped themselves off by, by, by not opening up the, the scriptures with the attitude, let me hear from you, God, speak to me. And so that's what, I uh, wanted to close with today that this is what you and I can have. You can go into your time with God. When you draw near to Him, your devotion time, which is the engine of your life with God. And it's an engine of your life, period. And you can draw near to Him. Hebrews 10.22 says, with a full assurance of faith having your heart sprinkled from a guilty conscience, an evil conscience, and your bodies washed with pure water. Again, water uh, in the Bible, in the New Testament, the Word of God, wash ourselves in the water of the Word. So brothers and sisters, I just encourage you in the priority of your life, carve out that time with God. Ask the Lord 
to put you in that place in your life where you, where you recognize that, wow, you really need him. You may have to give up some things. You may need, may need to change your career. You may need to, need to change relationships that you're in that you shouldn't be in. You need to, may need to uh, move somewhere or get into a different ministry where you're in the place where, wow, now the circumstances that I'm in are more than what I can deal with in my own strength. That's where God wants all of us. Why? Because it's in that place where, where we reach out to him. And, and that you would just understand that he wants you in that place more than you want to be there. And, and also, finally, when you go there to that place with that time with God that you expect to hear from him. If any of you would like to, to talk more about this, I'd be happy to talk more about it with you. It's a subject I am as you can tell, really passionate about. And I really want to see people's lives blessed and changed through their time in the Word of God. Okay, let's pray. The worship team, please come up. Father, I thank you that we can draw near. Lord, you commanded us to draw near. You tell us to. You tell us to because you want us there. We want to be there, Lord, and... So many times we just don't know how to get there. We pray for the grace, Lord. The grace to know how to get to that place, that secret place, as the psalm says, that secret place where there are no distractions, where we're hearing from uh, you, where we're, where we're being touched by you, where our hearts begin to burn within us, Lord, as you open up. Uh, the scriptures concerning yourself, Lord. And Father, I, I just thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. I pray for any person here, any man or woman who's never given their life to you, Lord Jesus. They've never trusted in you. They've never come to the place in their life where believing that you died for their sins, you were buried and resurrected. And you ascended into heaven so that you'd pour out your life to them, Lord. That you would bring them to that place where they trust in you, Lord. And Father, we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, please rise. We're going to close with a worship song. secret in the quiet place sing the stillness lord you are there in the stillness sing in the secret in the quiet hour i wait lord in the secret in the quiet hour i wait it's only for you because i want to I want to know you, Lord, and I want to
as you're dismissed and uh, if anyone would need prayer there'll be two people up front uh, to pray with you alright